So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Pastor Mark started us off last week in our study of the seven letters to the seven churches. Last week we looked at Ephesus, and uh, this week we're going to take a look at Smyrna. Uh, So he threw up this uh, picture for us to see, and uh, so we'll look in a little bit closer. We see Ephesus down there. And uh, just about 40 miles north of Ephesus, we have what is now modern-day Izmir, Turkey. Now, as we see in verse 8, this is a letter to Smyrna. And that word Smyrna means the word bitter, which is going to be an interesting contrast to the actual condition of the church that we will see here in this passage. But as we think about Smyrna itself, uh, Smyrna, the city itself, is a port city, and it's under Roman rule, and there are, are two different groups, kind of, or excuse me, technically there are three, and I'll get to that in, a, in just a second. But it was known as a very, very beautiful city, and uh, when the uh, yearly games, kind of what we know as being the Olympics, right? The yearly games would happen. Smyrna was, was in the thick of all of it, uh, and they were uh, very well thought of by many of the surrounding areas. Uh, it was a um, well-to-do city. And so when you think about this word bitter, when you have pretty much anything and everything that you could possibly want or desire, why would you be bitter? Why would there be any cause for bitterness? But we will see here that there is a great cause uh, for bitterness amongst the people, but not for those that are in the church. So he writes these words. These are Jesus' words. And the first thing that we see here is Jesus' announcement that is made. So Jesus announces or identifies himself right at the beginning of the passage to this church. He says, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So he's saying, I'm the first and the last, right? We've heard Alpha Omega, beginning and end. We've heard those kinds of of descriptions labeled for God, for, for Christ, for the Spirit, the Trinity. They have been and always have been and always will be. First and last, the, uh, and then he goes on to say, who died and came to life. Who died and came back to life, but then is also the beginning and the end? Right, Jesus. Lazarus can say, I, 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 was, I died and I came back to life. Yes, you did. But then you died again. Right? Jesus came back to life never to die again. And he's identifying not just himself, but he's also identifying with the church when he makes this statement. He identifies himself as the church's redeemer. Additionally, he identifies himself with the church in death and resurrection. If you consider uh, in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and then in chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. He's using these identifications as, do, do you relate with Jesus in this way? Do you call yourself a believer or a follower of Christ? Do you identify in his death, burial, and resurrection? Because if that is you, that's, that's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to you, church Christians. Then in verse 9, we get to Jesus' acknowledgement of their current situation. He says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, 
this tribulation or this persecution that the church is enduring. So as I said before, there's a couple of groups that, are, that comprise uh, Smyrna here. And I said it's a Roman, uh, Roman rule, so there's an, a Roman imperial cult that is there. And, and this cult uh, requires everybody to hail who? Caesar, right? And pizza does not come along with this hail, all right? This is Caesar of Rome. Hail Caesar as Lord. That is the religion, the faith that you should have. But there is also another group. There is a large Orthodox Jewish community that is there as well. And this Jewish community is recognized uh, by the Romans, so they kind of let them be. Because this group of Jews, they follow the Torah, Moses' writings. That's the first five books of, of what we have as our Bible now, right? And that's what they follow. Here we are in the New Testament age, post-Jesus, is death, burial, and resurrection, right? And here has come a new gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what men have been preaching and teaching for years now. And that is what this church, this Christian church, is believing and they are, because of that truth, because of what they believe, that Jesus did come as God to die for their sins, be buried and raised again the third day and be saved, they're experiencing this persecution. God acknowledges this persecution. He also acknowledges their poverty. But then if you look at your Bible, you might have parentheses there that says, but you are rich. So if you just read that at face value, maybe that can be a little confusing. Okay, God, Jesus, you said that we're, we're impoverished, but we're rich. I'm confused. Check my bank account again. Yeah, I'm in poverty, okay. There should be a lot of zeros if I were rich. But what does this mean? Well, the poverty is, is absolutely a, ma a material poverty because they are not Roman imperial cult people or Orthodox Jews. They are suffering from um, abject poverty, right? They possess absolutely nothing. And because of their state, because they recognize themselves as followers of Christ, this makes it much more difficult for them to get any kind of job under Roman rule or to even be able to receive services rendered. Does this sound familiar? Maybe about things that have been prophesied in the future. Because they identify as followers of Christ, no jobs or services to be rendered for them. They have a rough life. But in the midst of this material poverty that Jesus is recognizing here, or acknowledging here, he also goes so far as to say, but you are rich. Why would Jesus say to this church, but you're rich? Well, if we look at the book of James, chapter 2, verse 5, says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? That's some rich, some richness there. Heirs in the eternal kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. If you've spent any time in the book of Ephesians, you can read all about, especially right there at the beginning in chapter 1, we see spiritual blessings for those that love God. For those that are followers of Jesus Christ, you are abundantly rich. Now, when I was growing up, I watched a cartoon called DuckTales. See, younger kids might not know DuckTales. Older folks might know DuckTales. Woo! Right? Okay. <laughs> Now, I don't understand how this is possible, but Scrooge would dive into his money bin and swim through all these coins. All right? Don't try that. It will hurt. 
all right? But, but I'm just envisioning that as us spiritually, okay? We're Uncle Scrooge, and we have a money bin full of spiritual riches for us to tap into as a follower of Jesus Christ. We can swim through these spiritual riches. We have them at our fingertips, provided by the Holy Spirit himself residing inside of each and every believer. So this church, absolutely, yes, you can look and pull out your pockets and find that there's nothing in there. But you know what? What you have inside is of eternal, everlasting wealth. So Jesus goes on, I I recognize your, your tribulation, your poverty, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. So we have this uh, Orthodox Jewish group that is, is believing the, the Torah or, or the old law. They're not uh, looking to, the, to grace right now. And so they are continuing to blaspheme or slander this church. Make fun of them for what they believe. Probably call them names. Maybe spit on them or throw stones. When's the last time you walked down the road and somebody spit on you or threw a rock on you? Not because you are wearing an Ohio State shirt, but because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. My father-in-law is not here right now, so I can say that. (laughs) But because of who they identify with, they are being persecuted. And they're being persecuted by a group calling themselves Jews, which is interesting because they are Jewish by birth. But as far as Jesus is concerned, he says uh, that they are Jews and are not. What does that mean? Well, a true Jew is not one physically or racially, but spiritually. Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Wiersbe writes it this way, Any religious group, Jewish or Gentile, that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as God's Son is certainly acting contrary to God's will. So these uh, individuals claiming to be Jewish people, claiming to be Jews, really are not because Jesus is looking at their heart and recognizing there is no circumcision here. Surely physically we might be able to see that, okay? But, But the circumcision I'm talking about, that change that I'm talking about, that Jesus is talking about, is of the heart. So I want to ask you, and I already know the answer for myself, but I want to ask you, have you been changed? From the inside out. Have you accepted, have you recognized who God is, who Jesus is, and what he did on the cross because he loved you and he wanted to save you from your sin and certain death in hell for all of eternity? Have you had a change of heart? Jesus at the the Mount of Olives came one morning, John chapter 8 to the temple to teach the Jewish people. The Pharisees and the scribes, they joined and uh, brought a lady with them in an effort to question and test Jesus. A couple of times they would try to to get him to, to, to mess up or say the wrong thing or perjure himself or something that would give the Pharisees uh, the upper hand. And this was no different at this moment. 
But later on in John chapter 8 and verse 39 and 44, we see this. They answered to Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham or works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, Jesus, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And Jesus is not talking about Abraham right now when he says your father did. They said to to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father. Who's he referring to? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desires, Satan's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is who this Jewish group, this Jewish people, are actually serving, and they don't recognize it. This is why Jesus goes on to say, uh, uh, they are Jews, excuse me, those who say that they are Jews are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Satan is their true father here. That is who they are truly serving. Now, one of the interesting things about this particular letter, as opposed to, um, and this is true of one other letter. So there's two letters. The other five, this is not true of. But this one, and the one to, I believe it is Philadelphia, is a letter that has no words of accusation. Last week, we heard accusations made to the church in Ephesus, did we not? But there are no words of accusation given to the congregation in Smyrna. They may not have enjoyed the approval of men, but they certainly received the praise of God. However, the Lord did give them solemn words of admonition as they faced increased suffering. So verses 10 through 11, we see Jesus' admonishment to the church. And the very first three words that are written down here say, Do not fear. Do not fear. I see what you're going through. I get it. I see all of it. I've experienced it myself. I understand what's going on right now in your life. But let me encourage you. Let me tell you. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. It's a familiar phrase. It's heard in this context, do not fear, 44 times in Scripture, 37 in the Old Testament, 7 times in the New Testament, we see that phrase. Now, if you open it up and search, fear not, or some other assemblance that mean the same kind of thing, then the number's even greater. But Jesus himself is telling the church not to fear. Now, you can look up and say, Pastor, okay, you're telling me, do not fear. Okay, easier said than done, right? But what if Jesus were standing here before you? Right? Scars in his hand to prove it, right? And in his feet. And Jesus is literally standing here telling you not to fear. Will that carry a little more weight than just hearing it from me? Please say yes. Okay. Now, let me connect the dots. 
These are red letter words. So I may be saying them, but Jesus is saying them. So be comforted. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Wait, there's more? Yeah. Yeah. Christian, there's more to come. We think that we look at the news and we see the the, uh, persecution that's going on today for the church and how our country, as free as we currently are, what, what God's word teaches and what we believe, those things, those things are, are, are being stomped upon. And we could offer so many examples of how we see God's word being combated against. And I believe it probably is going to get worse as well. But we can take comfort in the words of Jesus when he tells the folks in Smyrna not to fear, that we should also not fear what we're about to suffer. Jesus goes on to say, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of them into prison. Okay? Anybody here volunteering to go to prison? Probably not. Okay? Especially in our prison here because I hear that it's really crowded and they want a bigger one. Right? He's about to throw them into prison. Try them as traitors to Rome because they do not believe what they are told to believe. That you may be tested. And for 10 days, this is uh, biblically speaking, this 10-day period is meant to signify to us for a brief period, okay? This is going to be forever. But for a brief period, you will have tribulation. Now, uh, I don't have time to read it, but Daniel chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, we can see this testing, right? Uh, Daniel and and his uh, cohorts are given uh, some instructions to eat this and do that, and they're like, no, I can't defile myself and my God in that fashion, so how about you give us 10 days and test us, right? Okay, you can read that passage for yourself. But we see this testing, and testing is refining for the Christian. Daniel was willing to stand true to God no matter what. He could have very easily been executed for saying, no, I ain't going to eat that. But he stood for what he believed. He stood for what God stood for. And we also see this in the furnace, right? God can save us from this. But even if he doesn't, know that I'm not moving. Then goes on to say in the passage, be faithful unto what? To death. Not just be faithful until it hurts, or be faithful until you're really uncomfortable, or be faithful until whatever. No, this is like marriage, y'all. Be faithful until death. Not until, oh, he's not attractive anymore, or until, uh, you know, I fall out of love, or until I find somebody better, or until... Sidebar, marriage is for life, y'all. That's the way God created it to be. Please aspire to that. And here, our relationship with God is no different, and his relationship with us is no different. Be faithful unto death. God has demonstrated his faithfulness in so many countless ways and has never wavered, has never once been found to be unfaithful. We are being asked to be faithful unto death. July 2nd. 1776. What's today? July 2nd. 13 colonies seceded from Great Britain and became free, a free unified country. You're like, that ain't right. It's the 4th of July. Actually, it was the 2nd. 
right? And then some of the wording got revised, and then they ratified that on the 4th, all right? Two days later, then they ratified the new one, all right? I guess the original one, they were using too harsh of language to the king in Great Britain. What led to the Declaration of Independence? Well, King James, who reigned from 1603 to 1625, and his son and heir to the throne, Charles I, from 1625 to 1649, presided over great religious persecution. And so men and women desired to be, desiring to be faithful to God at any cost, boarded boats and made their way here. Anybody here ever been on a cruise? Yeah, okay, it was nothing like that. All right. They didn't just get on a cruise ship, all expenses paid, you want to eat, the, the food's open, it's all paid for, just go and get whatever you want, whenever you want. Right? There's like four pools on three different decks, okay? 27 hot tubs. Right? That's not what this was like. All right, they got into these boats, oftentimes people could die. We just sang a song, It Is Well. Horatio Spafford wrote that, and he wrote that in the midst of his family dying on a ship, right? Weather got bad. They didn't have radar to avoid it, and his family perished. These people who were being persecuted loved God so much, wanted to serve and learn of God and develop their walk with Christ so much and and escape this persecution, they were faithful. They were faithful even unto death because many died in the persecution. Many probably died on their travel here seeking that freedom, which we now celebrate. J. Ralph Grant, in his book Letters to the Seven Churches, wrote this. History indicates its pastor was Polycarp, all right? The pastor of this church in Smyrna, all right, was Polycarp, who died a martyr in the year 155 AD. When he was asked to recant, he replied, and I love this reply, 80 and six years have I served him, and he has done me nothing but good. Why should I deny my king and my savior now? And with that, he was then martyred. How would you react or respond? Some kind of soldiers or government or whoever bust through the doors and they surround this octagon auditorium. And one at a time, they will let you leave those doors if you recant. And if you don't, you're martyred. In your own heart right now, How many of you truly believe that you would recant and leave this building? How many of you believe that you wouldn't, knowing full well what the result would be? Let me tell you something about the result. And it's not as gory as you might think. What awaits in death? Revelation 7, 14 through 17. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. So I die, I'm sheltered by God's presence. Hmm. Verse 16. They shall hunger no more. 
neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Well, that's what is awaiting me in martyrdom, waiting the church as Jesus is talking to them? Yes. He goes on to say, and I will give you the crown of life. Okay, what's that? Well, that's basically the winner's crown, okay? When you win a race and you get the red ribbon or the first place prize or the state championship for wrestling, right? You get this big old trophy. Whatever that best trophy is, that's what God is giving. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says it this way, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive what? A perishable wreath. But we, Christians, an imperishable 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have, found the, or I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That is the church in Smyrna. That is you and me, follower of Jesus Christ, even today. James 1.12 goes on to say this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive, what? The crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Steadfast under trials. Just a few verses back in James chapter 1, 2 through 4, he says this. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So why are we Christians to, to remain steadfast? Why? In the midst of this persecution, God, why don't you just end it? Right? Can't you just like take out the persecution people? Well, he could have. He could have done that before he was crucified on the cross, but he didn't. Why? Because the death on the cross was for a purpose, because he loved you and me and wants that relationship that was created for us in the beginning restored. Jesus was the only way to do that. And now you and I, brother and sister, we endure persecution and suffering. What does that do for us? Well, don't fear, because God has overcome the world What that's doing in my heart and in my life is refining me, sharpening me, making me a better follower of Jesus Christ. So stand your ground and follow Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so you're able to stand. And as all these letters say, verse 11, He who has an ear, let him hear. So, so, do you have an ear? Can you hear what I'm saying right now? Right? Jesus is like, do you hear me? This is where the, the church in Smyrna would probably be doing the whole amen thing. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers by faith. Why? Because for by grace we have been saved through faith. And it's not our own doing. It's a free gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We can be a conqueror with Christ. 
Revelation verse 20, starting in verse six, 4. Excuse me. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead uh, or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So because they trusted him, because Smyrna trusted him, because you trust in Christ, you are overcomers as well. You are victors in the race of faith, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says. And as overcomers, they have nothing to fear. Father of Christ today, we have nothing to fear, spiritually speaking. Even physically speaking, yeah. I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of how I'm going to die, right? But even in that, where am I going to be for all of eternity? So I don't fear because of Jesus. Now, if Jesus died, rose again, and like uh, Lazarus, died again... Yeah, there's cause for concern there, wouldn't you say? But he didn't die again. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And he is interceding on your behalf and mine. Amen. Let me close with these words from John MacArthur. It says that the church at Smyrna displayed the power and purity that comes from successfully enduring persecution. Persecution had purified and purged it from sin and affirmed the reality of its members, the reality of their faith. Hypocrites do not stay to face persecution because false believers do not want to endure the pain. Trials and persecution strengthened and refine genuine saving faith, but uncover and destroy false faith. So, where are you? Where do you stand before God this morning? Have you placed your allegiance in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Or are you still residing in the synagogue of Satan this morning? If you are the latter, I have good news. There's still time. You can still get out of that synagogue of Satan. That free gift, that invitation that Jesus has offered, that God is offering through Jesus, is available to you this morning. When you're born into this country as an American citizen, there are certain freedoms that we enjoy because of the men and women that fought for this country. When you're born into this world, you're also born an enemy of God. But good news, you don't have to wait in long immigration lines to receive your green card. You can bow your head right this moment and accept Jesus Christ free of charge. It's already been bought and paid for. I was at the Cass City Parade yesterday, and I, I think it was the D Ford Church had um, this group that came through. Maybe you were there and you saw this. They were wearing their red shirts. 
uh, and they had different sins on boards and chains connected to themselves, right? And it talked on the front banner about being free country, but you're not truly free until you're spiritually free. Because we are enslaved to our sin. So I want to invite you to break free from sin and accept Christ today. If you're a follower of Christ right now, well, the message for you is do not fear. Do not let fear creep into your life and keep you from doing the faithful things that God has called for you to do. Trust and obey the Father and his commandments this morning. Be content with what you have, for he said in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So our call this morning, Christian, is to stand true in Christ no matter what. Amen? Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for our freedom that we have in this country to be here, to be able to worship and preach and proclaim your truth without fear of reprisal or the doors coming down. But Father God, we do experience measures of persecution outside of these doors, in our workplaces, even in our homes or uh, at family gatherings. God, I pray that in all of these circumstances and moments, you would encourage us, you would give us the, the stamina and the ambition to trust and obey you and know that in and through you, we can have no fear. Because you are seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. As a follower of Christ, it can't be taken away. No one can steal my eternity and my salvation. You are protecting that. The Holy Spirit has sealed it. If there's someone here today that has not accepted you, Father, I would pray that they would ask someone here more about that so that they can have that same hope that they can spend all of eternity with you rather than without you. Father, I thank you for those that are here today, for our regular attenders, for the visitors. I pray that you would bless our time this afternoon and this week as we uh, I pray continue to look for you and serve you and speak on your behalf the great truth of the gospel. It's in your precious and holy name I pray these things. Amen. Our God, you raise-